Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We're also going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18. Pages for those in your red Bibles are listed in the bulletin for you. We're continuing on in our study of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, last week we looked at the first half of Matthew 6 verse 12. Uh, that vertical request for forgiveness, forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. Forgive us our debts, our Father. And today we're coming and looking at the second half of verse 12, where we think of that horizontal aspect of forgiveness, even as we forgive those who have debts against us, or who, have, we have, who are de- our debtors. So I invite you to listen as I read to you uh, the Lord's Prayer, up until the point in which we are in verse 12. I'm going to also read verses 14 and 15, and then we'll turn over to chapter 18 and read the parable of the unforgiving servant. So Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who was brought brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray together. Father, send the Holy Spirit and prepare our hearts and our minds, open our hearts and our minds that we might see the things that you want us to see, that we might learn the things that we need to learn, that we would feel the weight of Jesus's words here in these passages, and that through your work, 
we would once again remember the gospel of your grace and have the power and the motivation to live as the people you've called us to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week as we were finishing the sermon, I finished with a story about Simon Weisenthal. You'll remember the story, some of the details of the story. Simon Weisenthal was a Jewish-Austrian man, uh, lived during uh, the time of World War II, was a survivor of the Holocaust, died in 2005. And he he told the story during his life of a time when he was imprisoned by the Nazis in 1944, and he was assigned to a prison detail in a hospital that had been set up just for German soldiers. And he says that one, he said that one day a nurse came to him and asked him if he was a Jewish man, and he said that he was. And so she said, come with me. And he, she led him through the hospital back into a dark room where there was a single wounded soldier who was heavenly bandaged, obviously near death, laying on the bed. And the nurse left the two together alone. Simon says that he realized that the soldier was an SS officer. He was then told by the SS officer that he had asked for a Jewish man to come that this officer might give a deathbed confession and he begged him to listen to an experience that he had while he was in the Ukraine where this soldier was specifically responsible for ordering the death of 300 innocent men, women and children in a horrible, horrible way. The soldier, knowing that he was dying, wanted to get forgiveness from one of the kinds of people that he had killed, a Jewish person. Weisenthal tried to leave a couple of times, but the soldier kept him there, and eventually the soldier said this to him, I am left here with my guilt. In the last hours of my life, you are with me. I do not know you. I only know that you are Jewish, and that is enough. I know what I've told you is terrible, but my soul forces me to beg forgiveness. I know what I'm asking you is almost too much, but without your answer, I cannot die in peace. We ended last week's sermon by asking you what you would have done in that situation, but I didn't tell you what Simon Weisenthal did. Weisenthal listened to the soldier, took a moment to think about his response. And then without saying a word, turned around and left the man to die alone. Weisenthal said that for the years after that, he second-guessed himself. He doubted whether he had done the right thing. And eventually he decided that he would write to 32 different scholars and theologians and rabbis and pastors and ask them, did I do the right thing? Did, did, Did I respond the way that I should have? And they all responded back and only six of them said that he should have extended forgiveness to the soldier. In fact, one of the men, a self-proclaimed Christian, said, I would have strangled the man with my own bare hands. Now, that's an extreme example. But I think all of us can relate to some degree. Forgiving other people, especially when they have hurt us, Forgiving other people, especially when they have sinned greatly against us, is really difficult. In those moments, we often want the other person to be in pain as well. We want the other person to have to pay for what they've done to us. It's easy for us to have and to cultivate anger and bitterness And to want to respond with revenge and retaliation. 
then we come to Jesus' words in these passages. Father, we're supposed to pray, Father, forgive me as I've forgiven those who are debtors against me. Your Father will forgive you your trespasses, but if you don't forgive your brother, your trespasses won't be forgiven. Your Father will do to you what that king did to a servant if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. And when we hear Jesus' words, we feel the weight of them. These are weighty words. The call for us to forgive is serious. And the goal today is not to downplay Jesus' words. The goal today is not to try to get out from underneath the weight of what Jesus is telling us. The goal today is to understand what Jesus is saying. And to once again remember the gospel of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus. As both the motivation and the power to actually do what he's calling us to do. Now, before we dig into this uh, passage in Matthew chapter 18, let me clear up one thing right away. Jesus is not saying that we earn God's forgiveness by being forgiving people. That's not what Jesus is saying. How do we know that? Well, we know that because there are all kinds of other places in the Scripture that are very clear that our salvation, our forgiveness, is solely by grace as a gift from God. Think of just a couple of passages that say that so clearly. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Or Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. So if Jesus is not saying that we earn God's forgiveness by being a forgiving person, then what is Jesus saying in these words? Well, let's look at this parable in Luke chapter 18 to help understand what Jesus was saying in the Lord's Prayer. And what we're going to see is that we need to see our need for forgiveness. And that we also need to see the extent of God's forgiveness to us. And then lastly, in response, we need to be people who forgive others as we've been forgiven. So first of all, we need to see our need of forgiveness. That's the place we start. And we start there because that's where Jesus started in the Lord's Prayer. The first part of the Lord's Prayer, the fifth petition, is a prayer to our Father. Father, forgive us of our debts. Forgive me because I'm a sinner. We start there because that's where Jesus started. It's also clearly a place where Jesus started here in this parable in Matthew chapter 18. Now, just re remind yourself of the context of what's happening here. Just before this parable that is taught, we read in verses 15 through 20 that Jesus was teaching about what to do if a brother or a sister in Christ sins against you. And Peter was there and he was sitting and he was listening to Jesus. And as he was sitting and listening to Jesus, a question pops into Peter's mind. Jesus? How many times do I have to forgive somebody? Now, Peter was being a, he was a, in a pretty generous mood because he knew that the Jewish tradition said that you forgive somebody three times. So Peter doubled it and then added one. But Jesus shocked him. I tell you, Peter, not seven times. 
but 77 times. Jesus, knowing that that would have shocked and been confusing to the disciples, then used this parable of the unforgiving servant as a way of explaining and illustrating his point. Now, one of the reasons or one of the ways that parables work is that those of us that read it are supposed to think about how do I fit into this parable? Where, what, what character in the parable and the story that Jesus is telling it represents me? Where, where am I in this parable? Jesus' intention of that is very clear with this parable. We are to see ourselves as the first servant. Verses 23 through 26. Therefore the kingdom, Jesus now telling this, this parable, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one, that's us, was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. So we have a king who had a number of open accounts on his books and he wanted to settle those accounts. So he begins to call in the, ser the servants who owe him money and one by one they began to pay him what they owed him. But we're told that one of these servants was brought to him who owed him, owed him 10,000 talents. That was an incredible amount of money. It was an enormous amount of money. This servant was in an absolute enormous amount of debt. A talent was a unit of measurement. You could have a talent of gold or a talent of silver or a talent of bronze. And a talent weighed somewhere around 75 pounds. So this servant owed 10,000 talents. That's 750,000 pounds that he owed. 750,000 pounds of gold today would be worth somewhere a little bit over $16.7 billion. That's this servant's debt. And remember, a billion, one billion is a thousand million. He owed $16.7 billion in today's uh, sense of gold's worth. Or if it's a better way to understand it, a talent was worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. He owed 10,000 talents. That is, he owed 200,000 years of wages to the king. It was a massive amount. It was an enormous, shocking debt, essentially impossible to pay which then when we read the servant's response in verse 26, be patient with me and I will pay it all back, he says. That's an absolutely ridiculous thing to say. The servant wasn't seeing how much of a need he had for forgiveness. He didn't understand how much he needed the king to forgive his debt. And when you start to see that, you start to see Jesus' point that in order to be able to forgive others, we first need to see the need that we have to be forgiven of our sin from our Father in heaven. Our need of forgiveness from God is massive. It is enormous. It is shocking in size. And we need to see that our need for forgiveness is so much greater than the forgiveness that we might be called to give to others. John Stott put it this way. Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us, 
appear by comparison extremely trifling. If on the one hand, we have an exaggerated view of offenses of others, it proves we have minimized our own against God. We have to start by understanding and seeing our need for forgiveness. But we also need to see the extent of God's forgiveness to us. What could the king have done in this story? As the servant came and made this absolutely ridiculous statement, just give me a few, a little bit of time, be patient with me, I'll pay it all back. What could the king have done? Well, he could have at least done what he did at the end of the story, verse 34. He could have thrown the man into jail. Literally, it says he was delivered to the jailers eventually in 34. And the king could have done that right off the bat. And that phrase, delivered to the jailers, is it's kind of like a euphemism for being put in jail and tortured until you pay everything back. The king could have done that. And he would have been just. But what did the king do? Well, we read what the king did in verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He did three things. See the three things that he did? He pitied him. Now, that's probably not the best word in the English for us to use because pity has all kinds of different connotations to us. And it's, a lot of times it's not really the, the sense of what's being used here. The, the Greek word here has more of a sense that this man's heart went out to him. He had compassion on him. There was deep Empathy. He looked on this man with love and compassion and his heart went out to him and he empathized deeply with him. That's the first thing that the king did. And then the second thing he did was he forgave the debt. Now it sounds simple, but in a story like this, it would have been anything but simple. For a king to forgive a debt of this size in real life would have cost the king dearly. And most scholars believe that if this was really happening, it probably would have meant the end of the kingdom. For him to forgive a debt like that. The king absorbed the debt himself. He took on the cost. He paid the, he paid the pain of debt himself. And he bore it himself. He forgave the debt. And then notice he did a third thing. He let him go. The king released the servant. He let him go free. There was nothing left between the king and the servant. There were no strings attached. Now, what should the servant have done in response? Right? The servant should have left with a sense of immense gratitude and joy. After experiencing the forgiveness of such an incredible debt, of course he would go out and he would forgive others who have such smaller debt with him. But that's not what he did at all. Verses 28 and following, we read what happened. When the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. The servant went out and he found someone who owed him some money. A hundred denarii. That's about the equivalent of three to four months salary. It's not insignificant. Think about how much you make in three to four months. It's not just a little amount of money. It meant something. It was a meaningful amount of money. But it was so much smaller compared to the original servant's debt. 
three to four months of salary versus 200,000 years of salary. But the servant demanded it back. Did you notice that he starts acting like the king? Like he's the king? Like he has the king's authority? He seized the man. He began choking him. He demanded payment. And when the man couldn't give him payment on the spot, even as he begged using the very same words that the first servant had used, he then threw the man into prison. And then we read in verses 32 and following what happened when the king found out. He was angry. And he had the first servant thrown in prison as well. You see Jesus' point. We have to see not only our need of, for God to forgive us, but the extent of God's forgiveness to us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our debt with the Lord God Almighty is greater than even that first servant's debt. His was finite. Ours is infinite. Because we have sinned against not a king, but the infinite, all-powerful, perfect creator of the universe. And the message of the gospel is that our God and our King paid the debt that we owed. And it costed Him significantly. It cost Him the death of His own Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity experienced the pain and the suffering, the wrath and the punishment of taking on our debt and paying it for us. And He did it for two reasons. He did it for the glory of God and because He loves you that much. The more that we understand that, the more that that grips our hearts and our imaginations, the more that we see our need for forgiveness and then see the large extent of the Lord's forgiveness to us and the depth of His love for us, then, brothers and sisters in Christ, we will see that we need to be, we need to be people who forgive even as we have been forgiven. We start not only to understand what Jesus is saying here in the Lord's Prayer, but also understanding that the motivation to actually do this and the power that enables us to do it actually comes from the gospel of grace. What was Jesus saying in Matthew 6 and at the end of Matthew 18? He was saying, to the extent that your Father in heaven has forgiven you. When you look and see how extensive is God's grace and mercy to you, then go out and be gracious and merciful and forgiving of others who owe you so much less. That's what Paul sums up for us so well in Colossians chapter 3. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What does that look like? What does it look like to actually do this? Well, I suppose we could start with how the king responded in verse 27 and do the same three things that he did. We can have our hearts go out to the one who's asking for forgiveness. That we would look at them and have compassion on them and, and put ourselves in their shoes and understand what they're feeling and, and, and have empathy toward them and understand what they're asking of us. And we can forgive the debt. Even if it costs us something, and it almost always will. And we, we should forgive even before we feel like it. 
and then let it go. No grudges, no holding it over the person you're forgiving, no cultivating bitterness and resentment, no strings attached. Well, but how many times do we need to do that? Well, what did Jesus tell Peter? Not seven times, but 77 times. That is, as often as it's needed. After all, how much and how many times does your Father in heaven forgive you? Will you go and forgive likewise? Well, what, what if the other person isn't sorry? What if, what if the other person's not repentant? Sometimes we need to forgive even when the other person isn't truly sorry or repentant. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. We're always called to do the first. We can't always do the second unless the other person is repentant. John Calvin talks about it this way. He, he talks about the difference between an attitude of forgiveness. That's what happens in our hearts, whether or not the other person responds or not. And relational forgiveness, which is a two-way street involving both forgiveness and reconciliation and making the relationship right. Jesus' words here, Jesus' command here is about the first. We're called to forgive and to forgive from our hearts. Well, how can we do that? Jesus' words here, are not, are, are, they are commands. They're not optional. If we are truly His people, if we, our hearts have been regenerated, if we've experienced and tasted of the grace and the love of God, then we must be forgiving people. It's not an option. But the power to do this is that we must keep going back to the gospel of God's grace and mercy to us in the gospel. We must keep going. We must keep growing in our understanding and the extent of our sin against God. And keep growing in our understanding of the extent of His grace and forgiveness to us in the gospel and what it cost Him. And as that grips our hearts and our minds more and more, we'll be more and more motivated and enabled to actually follow what Jesus says. Corey Tinboom was a Christian lady born in the Netherlands in 1892. She died in 1983. She and her sister Betsy lived in the Netherlands during World War II. And the stories are fairly well known that she and her family hid many Jewish people from the Nazis in their home and eventually it was found out and they were caught and both Corey and her sister Betsy were re relocated to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her sister Betsy eventually died there after having horrible treatment. But Corey survived. Eventually, she became an author, a Bible teacher, a speaker, traveling around Europe after World War II, telling her story, writing a book called The Hiding Place, where she tells this specific story. It was a few years after the war ended. She was at a church service in Munich, Germany. She was speaking to a group there, and she said that's where she saw him. One of the main Nazi SS guards who was stationed in the processing center at Ravensbrück. Listen to what she said. With the other guards, he had often run his hand over naked bodies as they went by and responded callously to requests for help. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had ever seen after the war. And suddenly it all flooded back again. 
the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pained, blanched face. And when he came up to me as the church was emptying, he said, How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, to think, as you said, Jesus has washed away all my sins. The man's hand was thrust out to shake mine. But my hand stayed at my side. Angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I couldn't. But I suddenly prayed, Jesus, I cannot forgive this man. Give me your forgiveness. And then I took his hand and the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Now, I'm not suggesting this is a normative experience. But what I am telling you is that it is a picture of someone who has overwhelmed with the message of the gospel of God's grace and the forgiveness of her sins. And then she responded by forgiving someone else, even as she had been forgiven. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working through the message of the gospel of grace to melt unforgiving hearts and to make us people of incredible forgiveness. Let's pray together. Father, this is so hard to do. It's one thing for us to sit here and to read your words, maybe even to feel motivated to go out and to address specific situations that are in our minds, even right now. And yet, Father, we know that as we get into these situations, it is so hard to actually do what Jesus commands us to do. We need your help. So I pray that for every single one of us, you would help us to grow in our understanding of our need of forgiveness from you. Show us our sin. And as you show us our sin, our Father, we pray that you would also show us the extent of your forgiveness to us in the gospel of your grace. Melt our hearts. And Father, we pray that you would enable us more and more to live as Jesus calls us to live. To forgive others, even as we have been forgiven. For we pray it in his name. Amen.